Today's sermon this morning is based on the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, we are in the Advent season now, the, the Sundays that will lead us to Christmas. And so um, we're lifting our heads out of the Gospel of Mark, which we've been working our way through. And we're now focusing not on the end of Jesus' life, as Mark was leading us to. Uh, that'll happen at Easter. But the beginning and Christ's birth, which we celebrate. Christianity is hung on two great pillars, the birth of Christ the word of God coming into the world, the revelation of God coming into the world, and Christ at Easter defeating death on the cross for us. But who is this God? One of the most striking things that I came across when I was at seminary was thinking about and trying to comprehend and understand the fact that the Christian God is triune, tripersonal. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, united. Three persons so intimate with each other that they become one. And um, the more you think about that, the more either it'll expand your mind or you'll run away screaming. It's an extraordinary concept, and for me, it's one of the aspects of Christianity that is the most intriguing. And so, as we think about what it means at Christmas that God came into the world as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we're going to start by looking at what it means that God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're looking here at the Gospel of John. Previously, we were looking at uh, Mark. Uh, John is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John is a little different from all the others. The others are chronological. They tell sort of an eyewitness account of the journey of Christ from his baptism with John the Baptist through his ministry in Galilee to the cross at Jerusalem. John is very different. It's organized very differently. John was called an evangelist, the evangelist. He traveled and he preached and he talked about God constantly. Um, you know, the letters of John are in the New Testament. The Gospel of John is in the New Testament. He's a big chunk of the witness. And it seems like the Gospel of John was based on a series of teachings or sermons or instructions that he gave. As one theologian put it, if the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talk about the exterior or the um, activity of Jesus, what he did as he moved through the world. John is much more interested in the interior. It's in John we find Jesus' prayers. It's in John we find the explanation of who he is and why he came, his ministry. It's in John we see most clearly 
the relationship of Jesus to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this passage. Jesus replied, he's been, he's been asked a question about where he's going to go and what's going to happen after he goes and returns to the Father. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who loves me. Jesus doesn't say, if you agree with me, you will obey my teaching. Jesus didn't come as some kind of rabbi or teacher, didn't come to bring a philosophy. More than anything else, Jesus brought a relationship. We will love you. We will come to you, to them, the, the, those that obey Jesus' teaching. Jesus and God are tied together, Father and Son, and Jesus brings that relationship into the world, a relationship that is based on love, not obedience, not by understanding or accepting his teaching primarily, but by having a relationship with God through the Son, just as he has a relationship with God the Father. And we will come to him. This is the great promise of Christianity. God is not an idea, not a code of ethics, not a philosophy, not a plan for your life. God is a relationship and not distant. God, through Christ, comes to us and finds us when we are lost and brings a new family relationship. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. I've said this before, but you, you try using that philosophy in the public school system. Tell the students that they have to love you first. You'd get fired in a second. Our schools are not about relationship with the teacher. Our, our schools and much of our teaching is just about knowledge, is about understanding. But that is not who Jesus was. It's not why he came. You'll sometimes hear people say that they can admire Jesus as a teacher. They admire his, um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount or his ethics. But that just won't do. Jesus brought a relationship. It's a relationship of love. It's not some generic life for dummies kind of teaching. It is an engagement, an engagement of love with the Father through Christ. And life will not make sense unless you begin with that relationship. If this is God's world, if we are God's creation, then anything that we try to do without taking that into account, anything that we try to build, anything that we try to learn or make sense in this world will only be partial if we don't base it on the creator of all things. We need to have a relationship with our creator to be successful human beings. 
All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So here in a few verses, we have Jesus talking about his Father who sent him and about the Holy Spirit who he will send and give to those who put their faith, who believe in him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here we have the Christian Trinity. And it is the aspect of Christianity that is most distinctive. Miracles, virgin birth, are nothing compared to the doctrine of the Trinity, to the revelation of the Trinity. You won't find the Trinity anywhere else in the world, not in nature, not in any philosophy, not in any other religion. It is the most otherworldly, it is the most supernatural aspect of Christianity. Because it says, God, the creator, is not like you and me. God is not some super powerful human being. He's not a superhero like the Marvel comics. He is not some omnipotent, large, powerful person. His nature is community, a set of relationships, an eternal love together, and that is the fundamental reality of God. That is the nature of God. And I think it's one of the things that convinces me that the Bible is divine revelation. You don't find this anywhere else. And just thinking about it is hard. Where did it come from if not a direct revelation? And we see it throughout Jesus' ministry. Remember how we began in the Gospel of Mark right at the beginning. When Jesus was baptized, heaven was opened. And he, Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Jesus is the revelation of God, and at the beginning of his ministry, that was what was revealed at his baptism. You know, we just saw a baptism. A baptism is naming somebody in God's presence. It is God speaking through the church and through the act of baptism and saying, this one belongs to me. This one is now in relationship with me forever. This one is in my hand, and nothing in the world, supernatural or natural, can ever take this one away from me. It's a truth claim. It is a claim of relationship, of love. It's how Jesus began. It's how every Christian begins. And you know, in one of the songs that we sang talked about Jesus as the Word who is with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's an interesting choice of words there. The Word was with God. That preposition with is a translation of a Greek preposition. It doesn't mean just hanging out with. It doesn't mean like three people with each other around a table or in a house or on a trip. 
The preposition means to or toward. It is what you would use if two people are running towards each other on a beach or falling into each other's embrace or falling in love with each other. That is the nature of how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in relationship to each other. There is a divine towardness, a self-giving, a generosity, a community, and that is the very nature of God. One theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, said this, The three divine persons are not there simply for themselves. They are there in that they are for one another. They are persons in social relationship. The Father can only be called the Father in relationship with the Son. The Son can be called Son only in relationship with the Father. The Spirit is the breath of the one who speaks. Being a person means being in relationship. Being a human being means being in a relationship. Being a Christian means being in relationship with God. Because relationship, community, the self-giving generosity is the foundation of all things. It was there before the creation of the world. Think of that, by the way. God created heaven and earth and created every one of us. But before anything was created, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existed unto themselves in this divine community of love. That means that love is not created. It is prior to everything. And therefore, it is eternal. It will never be extinguished. Think of all those sappy love songs that you've heard about love being, you know, my love will last longer than the mountains or higher than the mountains or... There's been a zillion of them, you know. What are they all trying to say? That love is transcendent. That love overcomes all things. That God, love is more significant than anything else. This is why it is true. Because prior to anything, uncreated love existed in the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always per perseveres. Love never fails. The Trinity is the reason that that is true. Because love is always prior and stronger and more significant and more eternal than anything else. And it's all revealed through Christ in the person of the Trinity. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Relationship is primary, but relationships are the hardest thing of all. 
as those of you who've tried it know. In this broken world, broken, sinful people in relationship with each other are going to hurt each other. It is hard to give yourself unconditionally to another because people hurt you. People betray you. There's always the temptation to withhold something in case it all goes wrong. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work reminding us of this truth and reconnecting us with this reality. That's what prayer and worship are all about. It is why if you are angry or in your, you are in the middle of some uncomfortable situation, if you're afraid, if you feel threatened, if your life feels undermined, the surest solution is prayer. The peace that transcends all understanding is the presence of the Holy Spirit reconnecting your troubled soul, heart, mind, and body with this eternal unextinguishable love and that's why we pray the Holy Spirit's job is to reconnect us and remind us of now what is our fundamental reality our participation in the family of God that is not a trivial gift you know one of the things I learned pretty quickly uh, as I was growing up when you're a kid, when you're at school, it's all about how clever you are, can you pass the grades, do you know, can you get the job done? It's all about you. But as soon as you get involved in anything else, as soon as you get involved in a business or you go to some institution or a school or a college, even your own family, you quickly realize that it's not the competent people that get ahead or at the top. In fact, oftentimes they're terribly incompetent. It is the people who know how to get along. The people who can be in relationship with others. At its worst, the political types who work primarily on relationships. That's not an accident. If the Bible is true, Christians are being prepared to be in eternal relationship with each other and with God. All of eternity. And that is a long time. And we better be good at relationships. The Christian life is learning to be in community. It's the reason, by the way, that our church is founded and based on fellowship groups, what we call fellowship groups, groups that meet during the week where we learn to be in relationship with each other, where we grow spiritually, where we practice communal living. You know, the English word fellowship is based on a Greek word, koinonia, which is the word the Bible uses to describe the divine love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we gather in Jesus' name, when we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promises where two or more are gathered in his name, there he will be. We are participating together in the life of God. And we're learning to live out that reality right here, in each other's lives, 
in each other's apartments right here in town. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said. If you are having difficulties in your relationships, if there's somebody that you can't stand, if there is somebody that you have a persistent problem with, the Holy Spirit is right there. Jesus promises it. You just heard the promise. If you can trust Jesus, then you have a counselor. Not just any counselor, the counselor who gives you access directly to the life of God. If you're having problems in your relationship, pray about it. If you can, pray with the other person about it. There is no room in an infinite, divine, self-giving, generous, inextinguishable love for the petty grievances that human beings have. And you will find it swamped away. You just have to get in the habit of it. You just have to learn to make prayer, which is the Holy Spirit at work within you, an active part of your relationships. There's a final thing I want to say about this. You don't hear this part very much. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do you not let your hearts be troubled? and do not be afraid. There's one aspect of the Trinity that you don't hear talked about much. The Trinity means that God does not need you and God does not need me. Why is that true? Because God's love is self-sufficient. Oftentimes, you know, people think of the Trinity and it's like, oh, I can't think about that. But this is one, I, I had to be taught this, by the way. This is not obvious. But this, to me, was the greatest single insight that I ever received about the nature of the Trinity. What if God was just one? A single person, single solitary being. What would God love look like with such a God? Well, God could love God's self. You know, God is certainly worthy of love. But it would be a narcissistic, self-involved love. You could equally say of such a God that God loved itself. <clears throat> there would be nothing personal. There would be no relationship. There would be no friendship. A solitary God could only have this narcissistic self-regard. And by the way, you will sometimes hear in popular culture the idea that that's who God is, you know, that God needs us. His own, by himself, he's lonely and solitary, and he needs adoration, he needs prayer, he needs worship. He's like Tinkerbell, who needs children to believe. Like Clarence, who needs good deeds to get his wings. A solitary God would need to create something to love if that love was not going to be just narcissistic and self-involved. 
God would have to create you and me, God would have to create the world in order to love something. God would not be self-sufficient. God could not fully express every aspect of God's nature as a solitary being. He would need. Well, how about God as a couple, as two, a duality? Well, such a God could love. Such a God, one could love the other. It would be like, though, two human beings. It would be like Romeo and Juliet being in love with each other. If you've ever been around people who are newly in love, you know how obnoxious they are because they don't care about anything else. All they want to do is look at each other and be with each other. There's no regard for the external world because they're so focused on each other. It is a turning inward. Such a love would be beautiful, but it would not be generous. It would not be expansive. There would be no outward movement. Well, what about a community of love? Three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. What kind of love can you see there? Well, C.S. Lewis, he pointed out that when friends get together, you not only have your relationship with your friend, but the other people there, the other friends, draw out from that person things that you couldn't. You see that person more fully. You see that person expressing things that you can't draw out of them. It's the enjoyment of the love of other people. The delight in what they have with each other, independent of you. There is a generosity to such a love. A delight in the love of others for each other. One theologian put it this way. Within God's very nature is a divine rhythm or pattern of continuous giving and receiving. Not only love, but also glory, honor, life, each in its fullness. Think. God the Father loves and delights in the Son. Jesus receives that love and pleases the Father. Jesus honors the Spirit, and the Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son. Each person in the Trinity loves, honors, and glorifies the other, and receives love and honor back from the others. There is never any lack. In a triune God, in that community, there is never any lack. God is omnipotent. God has all the power that there is. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything that is, everything that happens. God is omnipresent. That means everything that is, is immediately present to him. And in addition to that, if that wasn't enough, God is love. An inexhaustible, divine community of self-giving, generous, a complete expression of love from all eternity. There is never any lack. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do not need anything else. They do not need heaven and earth. They do not need a created order. They do not need you, and they do not need me. 
They're completely self-sufficient, fully expressing every aspect of who God is without regard to anything else. No lack, no need. Why is that good news? Well, we've got a problem. We are not lovable. The Bible says that human beings are broken creatures. Human beings have fallen out of relationship with their creator and have become ugly in God's sight. We are not lovable. And therefore, how can we be loved? The only person who can love the unlovable is a person who does not need to love who does not need something to evoke love or need love. The only person who can love unconditionally the unlovable is actually tripersonal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who can sheerly, for their own reasons, generously, graciously love what is unlovable, us. What does that mean? If there's nothing that you and I have ever done, or nothing in our character or personality, our achievements, our record, that is lovable or is worthy of love, then we can never lose God's love. We did nothing to deserve it. We can do nothing to lose it. Because it is God's decision graciously to love. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Why? Because our relationship with God, the triune God, does not depend on what we do. And therefore, we can never do anything that would lose that relationship. God is omniscient. He knows everything that has ever happened from beginning to end. All of creation is like a book. And he can see all the pages together from beginning to end. And he can see every page of your life and my life. And he has seen it from beginning to end. And he has decided to have a relationship with you anyway. Everything in your life is known And everything in your life, because of God's grace, is now loved and held in his hand. You cannot lose such a relationship. And that's why Christians can have this supernatural peace. If God is for you, who can be against? If God has chosen you, the creator of all things... Who cares what anybody else thinks? Even what you think about your own life. You are no more lovable at your best than you were at your worst. And God has seen them both. And he has chosen to love you anyway. And therefore, you are held in his hand by his decision. And that's why you can never be lost. The Trinity is the guarantor of God's faithfulness in relationship to us. And that's why it's good news. 
And that's why we can worship and pray. And that's why we have access to the counselor. And that's why we can go to the family table. Because God, through Christ, has revealed that he loves us. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All because of the Trinity. All because Christ came into the world to share that with us and invite us. All because the Holy Spirit is our counselor. All because the Father sent the Son and the Holy Spirit to bring us home and make us part of his family. That's the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your love for us is gracious love. It is poured out by you on us. Lord, help us to learn to trust and live in that love. Help us experience the peace that transcends all understanding. Help us, Lord, to share that love with others this Christmas season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.